Thank you. Good morning. It's wonderful to be together with all of you this morning to open God's Word together. Just over seven months ago, I retired from work after nearly 40 years, not knowing what doors God might open, and he has been a blessing. Then three months later, I was diagnosed with a medical condition, and I just want to say I'm so thankful to God for his kind providence as he orchestrates every detail of life that we might more sweetly taste and enjoy his goodness. And even this morning, I was amazed at God's providence in our singing. The songs that we just sang and the next song that we will close with. And I'm sure I did not pre-coordinate any of that with the singers, but the songs they selected so wonderfully fit with what I'll speak to today. I just want to say I appreciate the faithful service of our worship singers. And we also appreciate Kayla Atkinson, who this next week will no longer be Kayla Atkinson, but will be married. So we ask God's blessing upon she and Patrick. Our text for today is Psalm 34, a psalm foremostly about the Lord, as evidenced by the fact that within 22 verses, 16 of those verses contain the phrase, the Lord. The sermon title I have chosen, after months, much angst and flipping back and forth, is the ABCs of fear and delight. That is, the fear of the Lord and delight in the Lord. We will start with David's invitation to teach us, and especially the children, about fear and delight. From there, we will look at four basic principles, a sort of toddler set of building blocks, which David sets forth to help us learn experientially from daily life to fear and delight in the Lord. The psalm is not an abstract or academic theology lesson with heavy arguments and proofs, but a more personal, hands-on, taste-and-see laboratory in the context of worship and praise. You know, I almost, as I approached preparation, just the joys of Psalm 34, thought I could put an entire sermon together with me not saying any of my own words, but simply hymns and worship songs and even children's songs. So I had made a list, I'm not going to read through them, but just all those that come to mind that reflect our joy and delight in the Lord. But if the ABCD building blocks I offer you find either too trite or too difficult to remember, I'll be happy if you'll walk away this morning simply remembering a very simple ABC, and I'm looking at my three-year-old and one-year-old and ten-year-old grandchildren who are here today, always behold Christ. So let that be your takeaway if you forget everything else. Note that although this psalm was written hundreds of years before the Incarnation, it contains a Trinitarian and Christ-centric message. Jesus, the Eternal Son, is not only our supreme example of how to fear and delight in the Father, as the one into whose image we are predestined to be conformed. Jesus is also the Righteous One himself, sent by the Father in the power of the Spirit, to condemn sin in the flesh 
and satisfy all the righteousness requirements of the law on behalf of those who walk by the Spirit in faith. It is of those that Jesus spoke in John 5.24, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. We will see this connection to the words of Christ more clearly in the closing verses of the psalm. One final comment before we read the text. Psalm 34 begins with the following introductory note, as we see on the screen, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. This note provides an historical context to the psalm. At this time, David was not yet king of Israel. He had served as King Saul's armor-bearer and court musician. He had slain Goliath on the field of battle and achieved many major military victories on Saul's behalf. David had even been given one of Saul's daughters as his wife in marriage. One would think that David would be on top of the world, highly respected, living the good life, but it was not to be. King Saul had turned away from the Lord to seek his own glory, in direct violation of God's commands. In addition, King Saul was filled with rage and jealousy toward David, fearing David would take his throne. Saul not only tried on more than one occasion to kill David himself, but also sent assassins to take his life. Because of this, David fled and sought sanctuary in the Philistine city of Gath. But there, the Philistines quickly recognized David as the one who had killed their champion, Goliath. So David had to pretend he was a madman in order to flee the city for his life. David became the subject not of celebration, but of ridicule, a fugitive of Israel and nearby enemies, a desperate man in grave danger. This is the context of Psalm 34. Join me now as we read God's word. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, all you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears 
and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him shall be condemned. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask that you bless the preaching of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please guard and direct my words and give your saints ears to hear your truth and hearts to receive it with joy. And above all, may Christ be glorified. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Samuel 13 and 15, we read that King Saul rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, refusing to obey him or fear him. The king had strayed far from the charge given to him and the nation by the prophet Samuel at Saul's coronation. We read in 1 Samuel 12, If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But instead, Saul feared the people and obeyed their voice. Because of this, Samuel declared the Lord had rejected Saul from being king And in his place, he had sought out a man after his own heart. That man was David, who despite his many sins and weaknesses, feared and delighted in his God. We see a glimpse of David's heart in Psalm 34. I hope we will all be encouraged by what we find. There are six foundations or premises upon which my sermon is built. I'd just like to put those before us briefly before we jump into the first point. Number one, we are made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Number two, we glorify God, as the children's catechism says, by loving him and keeping his commandments. We also glorify God by enjoying him and delighting in him. Obedience and delight are grounded in the fear of the Lord. Jesus is our perfect example of the fear of the Lord. And the last point, the fear of the Lord is to be understood even by children. A couple of verses, I think, on the next slide that just highlight a couple of those. Psalm 112.1, again, the, the mixing blessing and delight. Praise the Lord. Behold Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Isaiah 11.3, as Bob read, speaking of Jesus, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And from our passage, come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. With these as our foundation, let us move to the psalm. We begin in the middle of the psalm verses 7 through 11, which I've called the invitation. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him 
and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I believe the pinnacle of Psalm 34 is found right here in the middle of the chapter. Before and after, David teaches us about the fear and delight of the Lord. But here in verses 7 through 11, he declares to his readers the goodness of the Lord and invites us to come near to experience the blessings of fearing the Lord and taking refuge in him, of delighting in his ways, of experiencing full satisfaction in the Lord. Once we grasp this central message, we then understand that the words preceding and following this section serve as the building blocks, the instructions, how to experience all the fullness of the Lord and to delight in the Lord. It's as if David calls out and beckons, kids, parents, all those who hear my voice, Gather around. I've got something important to tell you. First and foremost, the Lord is good. It's reasonable to trust him. Yes, he is the awesome, almighty God of heaven, but don't hide from him. He is good. Fear him. Obey him in love and reverence. Find your safety and security in his presence. Be assured he knows what's best for you. Just as you know, the bountiful feast your parents set before the family is good because they love you, but also because they let you taste it and enjoy it. So come forward and taste and see that the Lord is good. He is the definition of good itself, and all that he does is good. This echoes the words of Jesus in Mark 14, where he says, or 1014, where he says, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. To fear the Lord starts by trusting him, taking refuge in him, believing he can and will take care of you, and committing to obey him. And then if you can believe it, he even promises to send his angels to watch over you. Don't be like the lion cubs, self-confident, yet unable to provide for themselves, They struggle to find their next meal, not knowing it is the Lord who gives strength and sharp teeth and provides both prey and a mother to train them how to hunt. As Calvin states, sooner shall the lions perish with hunger and want than God will disappoint of their necessary food the righteous and sincere, who content with his blessing alone seek their food only from his hand. Fear the Lord and you will never be forsaken. And when you fear the Lord, you are also delighting in the Lord. It's okay for Christians to be happy. Some people think we should be unemotional like Spock or not smile very often like Eeyore. But the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And as we saw already in Isaiah 11, we read an amazing prophecy about Jesus that tells us he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So now having received the invitation, let us consider the four basic building blocks to help learn and remember to fear the Lord. A, 
for those, especially the children, A is for always adoring the Lord, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. To adore the Lord is to bless his name, to fill our mouths with praise, to boast in him alone, to magnify, exalt, to love, to sing, to say out loud all the good things that are true about our God. I almost use a different A word than adoring, but I thought adoring would be easier. But that word the Bible often uses is ascribe, which is the idea of attributing or assigning to God that which belongs to him. In Psalm 96, we are told to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, to worship him in the splendor of holiness, and to tremble before him, which is another way of saying to fear him. In Revelation 19.5, those who fear God are commanded to praise him. And then in Deuteronomy 10, 20, and 21, we read, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. We adore the Lord because he is the one worthy of adoration not us. We are prone to turn our attention away from the Lord onto ourselves, either to boast of how good we are or to wallow in sadness over the difficulties of our lives. To counter this tendency, David tells us not simply to adore the Lord, but to bless the Lord always and for his praise to continually be in our mouths. Not just on the Lord day, Not just when life is going well, but always. And to even invite others to join with us in exalting his name together. How can we improve in always adoring the Lord? Heed Ephesians 5.19 by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts. As I mentioned, listen to your children and just the beautiful songs of praise that they sing. And also by reading the Psalms, singing praise songs, listing God's attributes, and thanking the Lord daily that he is good. B is for boldly beholding the Lord. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. We behold the Lord when we seek his face, as we turn away from our fears and find our confidence in him. And when we cry out to the Lord for deliverance, when we exchange our shame for his glory, when we look to him for salvation in the midst of all our troubles. How does boldness come into play in beholding the Lord? Consider first the opposite perspective. Many are ashamed to turn their heads heavenward out of fear that God will not receive them in embarrassment and shame over their sin and weakness. 
that what awaits is not mercy, but judgment. Yet when we come to the Father through the mediation and intercession of the Son by the Holy Spirit, we are given the assurance that the Lord hears our cry. We're told in Hebrews 4, to with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We boldly behold the Lord, not because we are worthy, but because we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who passed through the heavens and who always lives to make intercession for us. Because of this, we have confidence that our prayers are not only heard, but they are answered, and we are delivered out of all our fears. As Proverbs 14.26 states, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. A little more on this idea of beholding the Lord. The scriptures tell us that in our fallen mortal state, no one can see the face of God. In fact, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, the Lord agreed to make his goodness pass before Moses and to proclaim his name, the Lord. But Moses was only permitted to see from a distance, from a cleft in the rock, the back of God's glory as it passed by Moses. Yet God's face he was not permitted to see. Later, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the skin of his face shined because he had been in the near presence of God. So Moses had to keep his face veiled from the people. Then in Psalm 17, we read words of David. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. David acknowledged that he sees the face of God in righteousness and longs for the day he will be satisfied when he enjoys the Lord's likeness in its fullness. Now fast forward to the New Testament where we learn the blessings that are ours in Christ, that in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and that we with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord. And that God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In view of all this hope, Paul says we are very bold. How can we improve in boldly beholding the Lord? Start by turning off the TV and social media, reading the Gospels, make a list of God's mighty works, and meditate on these things. A lot of how we live is where we choose to put our attention and our time. It's a simple thing to turn our attention more faithfully to the Lord. C, which follows A and B. C is for contently consecrated to the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Well, the unstated answer is everyone. Then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. 
Consecration carries the idea of being clean, holy, sanctified, devoted, set apart for spiritual service. In terms of the fear of the Lord, it describes a determined disposition of obedience and godliness, righteous behavior before the Lord. These words of David, which are again quoted in 1 Peter, teach that God is pleased by righteous behavior. But as Calvin writes, there will be found scarcely one in a hundred who studies to pursue peace and a quiet and desirable state of life by just and equitable means. It's just not the way we tend to go. Thus, David emphasizes we are to turn from evil and do good because the Lord is good. We must guard our words, keeping our tongues from evil and our lips from deceit. In Deuteronomy 6.2, we read, Fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. Such a life of consecration is not to be viewed as burdensome, but as a delight a source of contentment and joy. On occasion, I need to remind my, my grandchildren, maybe my children, but particularly my grandchildren, of their duty to obey the Lord and do good. In response, I may hear very reluctant, oh, I guess so. And though we as adults have learned not to say that out loud, we feel it inside sometimes. But this response betrays a view of holiness as deprived or unpleasant experience, whereas to God it is the opposite. For the Lord has promised to turn his eyes toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Yet he also promises to turn his face away from those who do evil. Therefore, if we desire to love life and see good days, we will be content in our consecration. Just a couple of references from Proverbs reinforcing this. Proverbs 16.6, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Finally, 3, 7, and 8, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from, your, from evil. Again, delight. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, I didn't look in our hymnal because I know there are several versions of the Trinity, Trinity hymnal, but one of the versions, it is Trinity Hymn 492, which beautifully captures the essence of consecration with these words many of you will recognize, and I won't sing it. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. How can we improve in being contently consecrated to the Lord? Find a Christian friend, such as a Bible buddy. And if you want a Bible buddy, let me know. Hold each other accountable to turn from evil and do good. 
Memorize scriptures such as Psalm 19.14 and pray it often. That verse reads, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And then D. D is for divinely delivered by the Lord, verses 17 to 22. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Lest we forget the supremacy of the Lord and start to think this psalm is somehow about self-righteousness or the power of positive thinking or of some divine favor that we have somehow earned by our own obedience, David again turns our attention Godward. Recall this psalm was written during a time of extreme desperation for David. Now, most of us aren't fleeing for our lives or being attacked from all sides. But we can identify with being brokenhearted or crushed in spirit, facing various troubles and afflictions, overwhelmed, even desperate to cry out to the Lord for help. But if you say that is not true of you, that you have no need of deliverance, be assured it will be true of you at some point in the future. And it is in these very times and situations of needs that those who fear the Lord can be certain the Lord hears them and will deliver them. Take comfort that there is no situation or circumstance too hard or too desperate that the hand of the Lord cannot reach to you in your need. The Lord delights to rescue the righteous. Uh, Two verses supporting these ideas. From Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And in Psalm 145, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. How can we improve in being divinely delivered by the Lord? By being anxious for nothing. Instead, devoting ourselves daily to prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to our God. Earlier I mentioned we would find reference to the work of Christ in the closing verses of these psalms. Well, here we are. You'll notice in verse 20, David says, The Lord keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This is not a general promise that none of God's people will ever suffer a broken bone. Otherwise, when I broke my wrist a couple years ago, I would now be counted among the wicked. Rather, it is a beautiful prophetic statement that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is the promised Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. According to the statute 
for the Passover in Exodus 12 and Numbers 9, none of the Passover lamb's bones were to be broken. During Roman crucifixion, it was customary for the legs of those crucified to be broken before their bodies were taken away. In the Gospels, John goes into great detail to tell us that when the soldiers removed the bodies of the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus, their legs were broken. Yet when it came to Jesus, they did not break his legs, for he was already dead. This, John writes, took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. In like manner, I believe David speaks prophetically again of Christ in verse 21 when he declares, those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Ultimately, it's not the wicked's disposition to me personally that has any bearing on their eternal state. But the wicked are condemned for their temperament toward God's saints, which is evidence of their ultimate hatred of the Savior, Jesus the Righteous One. As we read in John 3.18, whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So we see that deliverance promised to us who fear the Lord has two aspects. First, temporal deliverance from, divine, from trouble and affliction. But second, and eternally more important, divine deliverance from condemnation. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, says our closing verse. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So in conclusion, they won't be on the screen and don't look at any notes. Do you remember the A, B, C, D building blocks? A is for always adoring the Lord. B is for boldly beholding the Lord. C, contently consecrated to the Lord. And D is for divinely delivered by the Lord. And for those who want the shortcut, A, B, C, always behold Christ. Jesus lived and delighted in the fear of the Lord. By the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, we are to live like Jesus. Let us then, children and adults alike, learn to live and delight in the fear of the Lord, enjoying all the blessings and benefits thereof. Join me in closing prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for ministering to us today through your word. We ask that you instill in our hearts and lives a proper sense of fear and delight toward our triune God. May we continually be molded into the image of our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.